my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. This week, we have Molly Jong Fast on the show. She's a political pundit and author, and she's also the editor-at-large for The Daily Beast. We interviewed Molly a few weeks ago, and I feel like there is no better time than now to have Molly as our guest because, I mean, last week was such a seismic turning point in American history, and next week's going to be a different turning point. And even though we couldn't ask her about the events of last week, I, I do think that so much of what she shares every day on Twitter and and in the media is, is so relevant. So let's dive in. The reason that we wanted to interview you is because I feel like I've been following you on Twitter for so long. We've been connected through social media. I, I love reading your perspective on things. And I think that in many ways, when you share your story, it inspires other people to realize like, oh my gosh, you can make a career out of being an activist, out of speaking your mind, out of not shielding the world from your opinions, and you can make a difference that way. So maybe you could share with us how you became kind of a pundit and an activist as a career. 
Um, so I would say make a living is a bit of a stretch. And I would also say, <laughs> like, I'm not an, I don't like to think, of, I'm not an activist. I'm more of like a, a, um, an opinion columnist. So um, what's good about that is that I don't have to um, report straight news, though I sometimes do that. Um, and what's good about that is that I can have an opinion because I'm sober um, 23 years. I have a lot of thoughts about like my purpose on this earth in a way that I might, I think not if I wasn't sober a long time. So that, of course, affects my writing in the way that I get a little bit, you know, more, you know, attached to, you know, the Senate candidate from Mississippi, Mike Mm -hmm. Espy, you know, because I want African-Americans to be able to take back the South, right? This is a place where it's, I mean, Mississippi is a great example. It's a, it, you know, it's the largest population of African-Americans in the South, but they don't get to govern because of the racism and because of the just the legacy of racism and the and just voter suppression. And so I do feel like I'm lucky in the fact that I have this place on this earth and that I can get to do that stuff. You know, we have this Senate that has like almost no African-Americans in it, even though it's 40 percent, you know, they're 40 percent of the population. Like there's so uh, much inequality. So I do feel very excited to be able to do stuff like that. My path has been very circuitous because I wrote these novels and then I started writing political stuff and I had always sort of written about myself. And there are certain things that are shared experiences where I feel very comfortable writing about them and I feel like they help me to write about them. They help other people to write about them. And I do the podcast and I do the columns for the uh, Daily Beast and I do columns for Vogue. But, you know, the reason why I started doing this is because it was, I just couldn't believe the corruption and inequality. Like I just couldn't, like I couldn't even wrap my head around it. Well, what will you do in a Biden presidency? I mean, I think I'll do the same thing. You know, I, I I interviewed Masha Gessen on the podcast on my podcast and we're talking about like it's not over like Trump they almost overturned the election and and Biden won four states more than Trump and they still almost overturned the election so if you think that they're not gonna try to overturn or maybe overturn the election the next time you know we are like about a heartbeat from autocracy and so you know, the next years are going to be really scary. It's funny, in some ways, I never, like, I'm more scared now than I was in November. Because in November, I thought, well, Biden will win and things will go back to normal. But, like, it's so clear that what's happened in the Republican Party is, I mean, Mitch McConnell finally acknowledged Biden's win 44 two days after the election. So I just feel like we're in such a precarious situation. And I also think like trying to hold power accountable is is not something that's partisan. When you look at the other actors in addition to Trump, what do you think is going to happen to someone like Steve Mnuchin or Ivanka? Where are they going to go in the next four years? That is like the $10 million question. And I think you know, it's, I mean, I think what's going to be awful, awful, I think it's the wrong word. What's going to be 
interesting and strange and also probably awful is um you know ivanka and uh laura trump and all those people running for office i mean they are the de facto republican party at this point so and uh steve bannon and you know there are a lot of these people still in the world so i think there's going to be a lot of stuff mnuchin Wilbur Ross Jr. There are a lot of really Larry Kudlow. I mean, these people have really gotten away with murder. Yeah. Jared Kushner. So but you don't think there's going to be legal action against them? So, you know, again, it's like that idea, like, how do you stop an autocracy? Like, how, how, what, how do you do that? Right? How do you undo where we are? And the question, and I, again, I'm asking this, I don't really know. You know, like there needs to be a narrative about where people sort of understand what happened over the last four years. And there are a lot of people who are sort of brainwashed from this, like, you know, the QAnon people and and Trumpism did well in New York. Like there are going to be there's there's a lot that has to be undone. I think that some people believed Trump and some people were tricked by Trump. And, you know, some people were willing to trade off the incompetence for the racism. I'm very hesitant about the attorney general prosecuting the previous administration because of the precedents it sets. And already we have so many like autocratic precedences that have been set, even just by like Trump's fucking with the election for the last 42 days. That said, I do think there needs to be some kind of accountability. Um, I, I know that the New York AG is is looking into a lot of stuff and there's so much corruption. I, I think we just need to sort of watch it play out. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, 
it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of times you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What was it like to grow up with Erica Jong, such a powerful woman, writer, feminist, controversial figure in in your life as your mother? What was that like? You know, in some ways, it's so talking about your family, talking about your relationship with your mother is so hard and to have to have, and not, I'm not complaining because like, I'm very lucky that she, I had a lot of advantages because she was my mother, but um, that it's such a hard, it's so hard to talk about a relationship like that, especially when you're not the famous one, that um, it was good for me in some ways because it was so incredibly uncomfortable. So I've talked about, I mean, you know, it's like any, I don't know that it's more interesting than other mother-daughter relationships, but, you know, and she has done a lot of uh, cool stuff that I'm very grateful for as a woman and as a person. Um, But yeah, I mean, she's great. And I am a big fan of hers. And she is an extremely supportive mom, you know. And I I feel like sometimes when I read the old stuff you've written about your mom, and some of it I relate to, because I had a very strong mother who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but we had a complicated relationship, even though I loved her so much and was so um, inspired by her. I think there is an interesting influence having such a strong feminist as a mom 
um, and I, I see it in your work today. How has it impacted what you do today? I felt like everyone who was a woman worked and that that was okay. I don't know that I knew you could like be a woman and not work. Ultimately, now it's everybody works, right? There are these sort of very, very few people where they don't work, but it's you know largely the the world sort of has changed, and and there's no longer that luxury. I think my mom was, you know, she did the best she could, and I think that it was very tough for her. She had a very crazy mother, like a very very crazy mother, who um who traveled a lot because my grandfather was an exporter, importer. And so, and my grandmother was worried that he had another family in Japan. So my mother was uh, very, was brought up mostly by her grandparents. So compared to her mother, she was an incredible mother. Why? I just have to dig in. Like, why did your grandmother think that there was another family in Japan? Because a lot of the guys that my grandfather worked with had other families in Japan. Like this was not an unusual thing because you go to Japan in the forties for a month. Right. You know, it was crazy. And my grandmother was quite crazy, but she was also like may have been onto something. So, you know, I mean, it's a, those complicated choices that people make. How did all this impact your thinking about becoming a mother and then being a mother? Well, I've written about this uh, a bit, but my, I actually got pregnant by accident when I was 24 and I was engaged. And a lot of my friends were like, you are insane. And, uh, and I actually wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal editorial page about this. And I actually really hate the Wall Street Journal editorial page. So it's just funny, but I had a very kind of I, you know, I didn't know what to do, but I ended up having um, my son, who I love, Max, and he's, like, going to be 17. And then I have two who are going to be 13. You know, so it wasn't so much a choice I made as much as a choice that was sort of made for me. But I think it was actually very good for me because I don't know that I – I think I would have had trouble making that kind of decision because it is a big decision. But I'm really glad I had kids. They – you know, they're like, you know, our connection to the world in a lot of ways. So I feel very lucky to have them. Is it fair to say that in the last five years, your star has risen exponentially career-wise? I don't know. I spent a lot of my life as a, uh, in my childhood with my like grandfather musing about how he had been famous and how painful it was to no longer be famous or the way he had been famous. And then I had my mother, who was famous, sort of have this similar experience. So I, you know, I have a very sort of circumspect view of all of this, which is that, you know, I'm here to sort of do my work and do the best I can. I have seen in my, from my grandfather and my mother, just that, um, if that they, they, what you don't want is you don't want to become the story. You really want to always be able to cover the story. I find myself very boring. And I also find that, um, you know, me talking about myself just doesn't, it just doesn't, it feels in my mind anyway, that it doesn't really move the world in any particularly important way. So in terms of your own life on a daily basis, you're on Twitter, how many hours a day? 
Well, so I disabled my screen time things. Like, I don't need to be shamed by my phone any more than I already am. Like, I disabled all (laughs) the... Like, as soon as that thing started popping up, I was like, go fuck yourself. So I don't have... (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I... But but also, it's your job. I mean, really, where I was going with this is, it seems like you can't afford not to be on Twitter. So if you're at family dinner, what's that like? Is your phone at the table? I mean, so I would say... I, first of all, I like bristle at the idea of any of this being a job. Like I am lucky to get to have people read what I write. Um, I think that the worst thing you can do with social media is, is approach it like a job and be like, this is my sponsored content. Like this is this opportunity to connect with people you've never met. You may never meet people in different places. Like I love it. Like, I love it when people send me DMs. I don't love the death threats so much, but I like to, I like it because I like to read what people are writing. And so you get to see it, you know, you get to see what everybody's reading. Uh, You don't miss anything. I get a bunch of newsletters in the morning too. So when I wake up, I get my, I get the, um, I get the AP Newswire. I get the Politico. I get a bunch of different newsletters. I get CNN. Which other ones? I get Brian Stelter's newsletter. Times has a bunch of really good newsletters. I read um, David Lionheart from the Times is like one of my favorites. I read um, Stelter. So I read that every day. Um, And then I, but then if something's really good, I share it on social media. And then, oh, actually Columbia Journalism Review, CJR, does a very, very good newsletter that I like a lot. And then there's another newsletter called The Writing, which is like the right-wing extremism newsletter, which I read too. I wish it were a little more like fulsome and had more links and stuff, but it's good. You know, I'm around for kids, um, which is, as you know, constant. And now for a quick break. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What what are your evenings like? Well, the, I mean, because it's a pandemic, my evenings are like, you know, my daughter and I are watching The Great British Bake Show right now, Baking Show, and we love it. Um, and my sons are like ignoring me. And then um, my, I put everyone to sleep and my husband and I are watching The Sopranos. So like, which we had never seen. And when you're watching The Sopranos with your husband, are you also checking your phone constantly to make sure you're not missing things? I'm not like crazy about it. And in fact, I have my settings on my Twitter. So I don't, my Instagram is not enabled. So I don't see any push notifications. So that means I do about like 25% of what, I don't know anything that happens on Instagram except when I check it, which is great. So I check it like four times a day. I have no idea what's happening there. Like I'll respond to DMs from random people, but it's so like not, it's so like in the background. I never check Facebook. And then with Twitter, I check, but I have my notifications in a way that I only get from people I follow. I have a question about your kids who we've touched on, but like, yeah. what, what do they know about your work? So my kids know, you know, I mean, I don't think they're particularly interested in it, but they know what I do and but I, ho- I hope people don't talk to them in that same creepy way they talk to me about my mother. But 
Um, but you know, if they do, that's okay. Um, they know what I do and they have, they're sort of interested in it. I, you know, I, I tell them, I don't hide anything, but I don't push them if they're not interested. I mean, your perspective online is quite controversial. Do you feel like you're also like that in real life or what are you like in real life at a dinner party or, you know, when people see each other again? In real life, I get along with people. I mean, I don't have, you know, I I don't feel like I have combative relationships with people. My problem is more just that I'm like distracted and disorganized. I don't feel like I have, you know, I have friends who are, I mean, I'm friends with Nick Gillespie, who's the editor of Reason Magazine, who's like, he's a libertarian and he's wrong about everything. Like, I don't feel like I can only um, be friends with people who are liberal, but I do feel like, and I have friends who are really conservative, but, and that it does that doesn't that's not to to that doesn't um you know i don't think i need everyone to believe what i believe we've talked a lot about kind of the state of america which is pretty bad right now but one thing that i i think about a lot because i have a lot of friends or family members in recovery is the isolation of the pandemic for people who are in recovery and not being able to go to meetings to be able to get help like what what do you like what has that been like for you Oh, so I do a Zoom AA meeting every night and I am very happy with my Zoom AA. And I have a, you know, I Zoom with my sponsees and I talk to my sponsor. I don't, I mean, I think, you know, it's hard, it's a hard time, but I think like if you read the big book, they talk about like soldiers in World War II staying sober with big books. So compared to that, I don't think it's so hard. You referenced um, some death threats. How do you choose what to react to and what to take seriously when it comes to safety? You know, because I had this mother who was who was always getting harassed and we had a stalker growing up, um, I certain things I always did have really served me. So like I never was, I never had my address in any, like anything. And um, so that's been good. Um, and you know, I'm just careful. I'm pretty careful or I try to be pretty careful. We are going to head to our lightning round now. We're okay. just going to ask you a few quick questions and then Lou's going to ask the final question. Okay, great. What's your relationship like today with your childhood friends? I mean, I have a very close friend from kindergarten through fourth grade who I'm still tight with and a very close friend from fourth through uh, eighth grade that I'm still tight with and, uh, and a high school friend that I'm still tight with. So I have one from each, uh, of those stages and they're great. I love them. What are you reading? I am reading this whole, I'm reading like about five books at once. It's a whole complicated menagerie of books about history. Is there any celebrity that would leave you starstruck? I mean, I would like to have Kamala on the podcast. That I would like that. So that would be good. I, you know, I there are a lot of of people that I'm interested in that I think are smart that I'm, you know, are impressed by. Lou, do you want to join oh, us yeah. for the final question? Yeah. Hi, Molly. Hi, Lou. How are you? Hey, Molly. I, I've been sober almost eight years now, so I oh, think. Cool you for being sober and helping so many other people along their journey of uh, of finding recovery. Cause 
right now. Like uh, what, what I do when I'm not doing other stuff is I do food delivery and alcohol delivery is like on the rise, you know, I know. and it's, it's nuts, crazy. you know, yeah. and I, I, I also have like a huge community um, over Zoom and there's a couple park meetings that I attend, but there's a lot of people coming into the program right now, you know, and some of them are like, like, just like on the, on the fence, you know? Could you give some words of wisdom to somebody that's listening right now that's kind of like on the fence during this pandemic? Yeah, it's something I think a lot about because we are about to have this, and I think we're in the middle of a very profound mental health crisis from the pandemic, you know, which is, it's funny because it's like people will politicize the pandemic and say like, because I've known all these people who've killed themselves this year and I've just seen a lot of really terrible tragedies and and they'll say, well, it's the lockdowns. It's not the lockdowns. It's the whole thing. It's the people dying in their cars, right? It's just so traumatic for all of us that we are having this mental health crisis. And I would say, um, you know, getting sober for me was the greatest thing I'd ever done. And it saved my life. So it's a little bit scary, but we're here for you and we can help you. And there are a gazillion meetings on Zoom and... You know, I think that there's no reason to just not come to a meeting. You don't have to stop drinking. You can just come to a meeting and see how you like it. So that would be my advice for people who are feeling like alcohol is a problem for them. You know, I think a lot of people are going to need to get sober after this. All right, Molly, thank you so much for your time. Thank Thank you you guys. This was great. Thank you for having me. Have a great one. Molly is such a a unique person and I I appreciate how candid she is. She really did not like it when I referred to Twitter as her job. She, (laughs) (laughs) but I I appreciate that. I mean, it's really good perspective, whether you are a CEO or just a, a human being using Twitter as a voyeur. I think it's what she's really saying is, you know, Twitter is another distribution platform for communicating a message, for connecting with people. And when you think of it as a job, you're probably not using it correctly. I I first got on Twitter when I was doing my talk show with Gary Vaynerchuk and he insisted I get on Twitter and I kind of got on there kicking and screaming many years ago. And he taught me everything I know about using Twitter, but he was he had very specific ideology around it and how you were supposed to use it. And he used to always say to me, you have to interact with every single person who connects with you and writes to you on Twitter, which obviously is hard to do, right? Well, I mean, well, Sam, that's my question, right? Like I, I use Twitter too. Um, but like, how much time do you spend on Twitter on a given day? Be honest. What's, I mean, I have it in the background all day long. So I am very active on Twitter all day. Just kind of, that's where I get my news. And so obviously if I'm in a meeting, I'm not checking Twitter, but as soon as I'm out of a meeting, just like I would check my email, I check my Twitter. So I do see it as like my connection to the world, I, I what I personally struggle with is I'm very politically uh, opinionated on Twitter. And at Park Place, it's been an issue a little bit. We, we did lose a client recently because of my political activism on Twitter, although I'm just not willing to not stand up for what I believe in, even if it does mean sometimes, you know, affecting your bottom line. I think there's just as many people who would then want to use us because of my political views. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, you're always making those decisions as a CEO. Like, I definitely have signed letters supporting abortion rights, and it was an issue, but you do what you do. Like, I don't think there's a big separation between who I am personally and who I am as the leader of a company. 
I also think there is an upside to Twitter. Like I think I use it less than you because I will sometimes just like not log on for days on end. It's, my brain doesn't work that way. But, um, but I will say that Twitter has been massively helpful to me in building a business. And I think people should talk about that more because for me with the Riveter, I use Twitter to let the world know about my business and to interact with the media because the media is all over Twitter, right? And so when you're commenting on their stories, they get to know you. And if you're building a business outside of a major media market, which I was in Seattle, you are able to get their attention and kind of develop these relationships. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution, because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.